Hey everyone, and welcome to the Class of 2020 podcast. I'm Asara, and I'm here to tell you about an awesome and pretty cool podcast that you're going to need to hear. We know that times are tough. The coronavirus pandemic has affected all sectors of the jobs market. It's ruined all prospects of easy career development, changed our student learning experience as we know it, and it has many of us at home sending applications for jobs which aren't going anywhere. We've gathered people from Gen Z ages 16 to 25 and set them up for awesome one-to-one discussions with experts, business leaders, sports superstars, entrepreneurs, and industry minds from across the world to ask them the questions that you and every young person cares about today. How to start your career, ways of success, how to overcome adversity, and so much more everything you need to support you on your own growth your own journey and your own development all for you all for free at the class of 2020 podcast brought to you by the branding man Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Class of 2020, the podcast. It's Osaro here, and I feel that this episode couldn't come at a better time. If you're currently listening to us from the United Kingdom or from anywhere across the world, then you may or may not be aware that England has just entered a second national lockdown. That means we're back in our homes, we're self-isolating, we're social distancing for one month, We enjoyed our summer break, but now we have to come back indoors to tackle and get over this coronavirus. And I know that for many young people listening, it means serious anxiety with the job search, mental health problems, which will become exacerbated with a one month lockdown and, you know, futile ambitions for the future with every successful job application, which does chip away at us ever so slowly. But I'm here to bring you a very, very exciting an enlightening episode. On this episode, we have London barrister, David Green. This is a great episode because David details how he became a self-employed barrister, but equally, and most importantly, he mentions and discusses how and why he entered the profession in his late twenties. So to every young person listening, who feels as if their life is over, who feels as if their career has ended before it's even started, David became a London barrister at 27. And to top it off, David gives us insights on how young people from lower income backgrounds can also enter the law industry. I know that many people listening may feel as if their finances prevent them from studying or pursuing a career in law. And that's why David's come on the podcast to talk about websites, resources, and scholarships available to young people from lower income backgrounds who can enter the law profession. And I say it again, guys, at any age, David became a barrister at a late age of 27. So we can become a barrister at any age. We can become anything we want at any age. So without further ado, let's sit back and let's get into another exciting episode. Hello to all of our class of 2020 listeners on our podcast. Today we're greeted by David Green, who is going to be giving us an insight into the industry of law and how he has become a barrister. So David, it's lovely to be met by you today. Would you like to just give a brief introduction to yourself? Of course. Um, as you said, I'm David Green. I'm a barrister at 12 King's Bench Walk Chambers in London. Um, I've been here for about five years um, and the sort of law I practice is all civil law uh, and it consists mostly of 
personal injury cases, people have been, been injured, um, and employment cases, people, uh, cases involving people's rights being uh, breached or allegedly breached at work. Great. Okay, so I am Eleanor. I'm a member of the um, recording team here at the Castles 2020, and I'm going to be going through some interview questions with David so we can get a better perspective of his industry. So can I first of all start with a bit about your industry? What do you enjoy and kind of what do you do as a day-to-day -day working task? Um, I think the first thing to say about the day-to-day -day is there isn't really very much of a clear day-to-day. -day. Um, every day is different from every other day. Um, barristers, I think most people will have seen through uh, TV and, and other uh, and other ways that we're the ones who go to court. Uh, so we're the ones that you see typically in, in our wigs and gowns or more commonly these days just um, dressed more normally, going to court and making arguments in front of a judge. And so plenty of my days are spent um, at court doing that. Um, but actually that's only a minority of my time. Um, most of the rest of my time is taken up um, preparing for those court appearances. It's taken up in giving people legal advice uh, an awful lot of the time, analysing their case and telling them, will they win, will they lose, what the case is worth, what it might cost them. Um, and also very often trying to, um, trying to get the case um, into the, the state where it's more likely to win uh, or to lose. So trying to give some strategic advice to clients about their, uh, about their legal affairs. Um, and that can be... Um, done at my desk in my chambers in London or this summer uh, at my dining table at home. Um, it can be yesterday I spent the day um, about 200 miles from London seeing a client who couldn't travel because of the nature of his, industry, of his injury. Um, so I had to go to him. Um, I find myself all over the country doing all sorts of things and meeting all different kinds of people. Great. I think it's one of those... Um job roles or industries that obviously we are all aware of but I don't think we've never we've never had an insight I definitely don't know very much information about that role or the day-to-day -day kind of workings of it so it's a very interesting topic to cover so what do you personally enjoy about this industry is it so versatile so um, there's a couple of things that I um, enjoy. First of all I enjoy the fact that I'm self-employed now this isn't necessarily something that you would expect um, and it's not the way that other lawyers like solicitors um, work, but barristers, almost all, um, are self-employed. So although that I work in a building with other barristers, no one is anyone else's boss. No one tells me what to do. No one tells me when to come to work um, or when, or when I, I should go home. I get actually an awful lot of freedom about the way that I do my work <clears throat> and, uh, and how to do it, um, which is... Um, something which I particularly enjoy about the role. Um, I enjoy the, the variety um, and I also enjoy meeting lots of different kinds of people. I think the best lawyers really are people, you're a good lawyer if you're a people person because you need to be able to um, really understand what people are telling you, listen to them very carefully uh, and understand the, the context often that their lives are lived in to get the most of their um, the, the, often the best information and evidence from them. Um, and I also enjoy the, the analytical um, component of my job. You know, it is, um, it's a job where you use your brain. It's a job that's about problem solving. It's all very practical problem solving. It's, it's about um, 
helping your clients to find the easiest and best way through uh, the problems that they face. Um, but if you're the kind of person who likes figuring out puzzles, then this is a job which I think would, would suit you very well because it, it does involve really getting those brain muscles exercised and getting to grips with, uh, with an intellectual problem. Great, okay, so you mentioned there that you are self-employed. Would you like to kind of give a bit of detail about how you kind of got into this industry and how you've now become self-employed? Well, um, like I say, most barristers are self-employed, so that's the standard model. Um, and what the way that barristers organise themselves is that we um, we group ourselves together in these groups that we call chambers. Now, chambers means both the physical building where we work, and that I said the name of my chambers at the beginning. It's Twelve Kings Bench Walk, which actually is our address as well. Not very imaginative, um, but it also refers to the the, the sort of loose organisation. Now, usually if someone says, I work at this place or that place, that what they mean is there's a company, a firm with a management structure in it. Whereas there's actually, there's no company at 12 Kingsbridge Walk. There's just 90 odd barristers who all share the building. And this is because we could be self-employed and just sit at home and work from home and be totally separated from one another. Um, but the way that the model has developed, and this is the way that most barristers work, I, I stress, is that we group ourselves together so that we can share resources. So we all share, for example, the rent on this building, the cost of employing staff. We employ staff called clerks who sort of manage our work for us <clears throat> and help us in the work we do uh, and our other staff as well. Um, and we also group together generally by specialism. So everyone in my chambers, almost everyone in my chambers does personal injury work. And my chambers um, is regarded as one of the places in, in the country where you would go to, to um, if you have a personal injury claim or one's been brought against you. And so we do a lot of different kinds of personal injury work. Also related issues like employment, insurance, clinical negligence and, and other, other related, related matters. Other chambers will specialise in other matters such as crime, family, commercial law, other, other sorts of stuff. So we group ourselves together by specialism. We group together to, um, to share expenses and resources. And also just because I think it, it helps us out to do that. It's actually quite nice when you're self-employed, you know, the fact that I share a room with a couple of people who do think similar things to me. Senior barristers can help out junior barristers. We can go to them with, with the questions and so on. So, but at the same time, even the most senior and well-respected barrister in the building isn't my boss and can't tell me can't tell me what to do um, and my clients and my work are my own and the fees I earn are my own although Chambers takes a cut off them to to help keep the rent paid on the building and keep the lights on so the the self-employment model is just kind of it comes with the territory it's the standard the way that you get into it is that each Chambers as this sort of loose group decides every year um, whether they want to take on a trainee, what we call in the barrister world a pupil. We have, we usually take one, two or three a year. Um, and that's how I started. I applied for pupillage and was given pupillage in these chambers. That's a year long training position. And then at the end of the year, um, your chambers takes a decision on whether they want to make you a full member of their chambers or whether you need to go or go away and practice elsewhere. Now I was fortunate. I was 
taken on in the, in the, uh, the lingo, we call it being made a tenant uh, of chambers just to, to add some more unusual uh, terminology into the, into the mix. So I was made a tenant here at the end of my, uh, my pupillage year. And that means that I'm here um, pretty much forever that there's, because there's no employment relationship, I can't be fired, made redundant, um, shifted very difficult to get rid of tenants people people do leave occasionally but um, it's just a place where I can develop my own practice uh, my own clients and, and, and do my own work okay so you've mentioned how you kind of got into your um, being yeah. a tenant in your um, building however how about you tell us kind of your education route before you got there it's always quite interesting to hear from obviously I'm a graduate myself, but a lot of our listeners may be younger people that haven't reached that kind of graduation stage yet. They may be deciding their route. So it's always quite interesting to know kind of the process people have followed to kind of get to where they are today. Of course. So I, I actually came to being a barrister a little bit later on in my career. It wasn't the first thing I did after graduating. So I, um, I went to a, a normal non-selective state school, uh, did my GCSEs and A-levels. Um, my degree um, I did um, actually quite a while ago now um, at Oxford um, it was uh, in philosophy politics and economics not law I didn't do law and you don't have to do law um, as a degree to become a barrister um, I then worked I did different jobs non-legal jobs for five or six years um, I worked um, in parliament for a short time and then I was a management consultant one of the big consultancies for a period um, but I'd always kind of, the thing I'd always really wanted to do was to be a barrister. I'd always kind of been attracted by, by this job. Um, and I wasn't really enjoying being a consultant. So I kind of thought, actually, I think I might have a, might have a go at that. Might see if I can, might see if I can pick that up in my, in my later twenties. Um, and so what I did was because I didn't have a law degree, um, I had to do a course, a one-year-long course called the Graduate Diploma in Law. You'll often hear it referred to by its initials, the GDL. So I applied for and got a place on that course when I was about uh, 27, 28. Um, that's a year. That brings you to the point that you would be if you'd done a law degree at, as your, first, your normal undergraduate degree at university anyway. Um, there's then another year-long course which is the professional training now there's a, there's a course each one for barristers one for solicitors the solicitor course is reasonably well known it's called the legal practice course the lpc the barrister equivalent the same year year long um, is called the bptc the bar professional training course um, and so i went away and did that and um, once you've done the bar professional training course, you get called to the bar, which is where um, the uh, this is sort of getting into kind of getting into the weeds of the detail here. But you're in of court, which is one of the professional associations of barristers, formally confers on you the title of barrister, uh, and it's then that you're allowed to start a pupillage in, in in chambers, which is the final stage to qualify. You still have to do a pupillage in order to qualify. Um, I'll just double back before I before I finish to the Inns of Court because I think this is, this is an, a really important point in terms of getting to do this job. 
there's four of them. They're all based in central London. In fact, my chambers is in the, the area of one of the inns. Uh, they're called Inner Temple, which is the one where we are now, where I am now, Middle Temple, Gray's Inn and Lincoln's Inn. And if you, if you come to central London, you can, you can just go and have a wander around the pretty gardens and the buildings uh, that you see. Um, as well as having to belong to one of them and that you can join pretty easily and students can join them for a very small amount of money and get involved in their student activity. The Inns of Court provide scholarships to people to train. So when I was doing the job that I didn't really enjoy before, my consulting job, and I thought, I fancy retraining as a barrister. The first thing I did was to join one of the Inns of Court. In my case, it was in a temple. And, and apply for a scholarship to fund the, the course which I needed to do, the Graduate Diploma in Law. I was very fortunate, I was interviewed, I was very fortunate to be awarded scholarships which paid for all of the fees for the Graduate Diploma in Law and the following year on the BPTC. So students who are interested in pursuing this as a career, my absolute top tip is get straight on the websites of the four inns, Inner Temple, Middle Temple, Gray's Inn, Lincoln's Inn, pay the whatever it is, £100 or whatever it is, to join one of the inns, you will then be able to get involved in all of their student activities and you'll be able to apply for scholarships, um, which they, they have large sums of money available every year, a huge pot of money that help dozens and dozens of students uh, to pay for those courses. And that's, I, I can't stress enough that that is what makes it affordable to people who perhaps don't have their own resources, don't have family resources behind them, as I didn't. Okay, it's very interesting to know that you kind of haven't followed that traditional route, studying law at university and kind of taking that natural progression because I'm sure you know a lot of our viewers are kind of age 16 to 25. So those 25 year olds that have potentially completed their degree and graduated and aren't happy within their role or kind of have done their degree because they enjoyed that but are now looking for an industry that they would like to work in. It's great to know that, you know, you can do it later on in life. 25 is still very young, but even yes. so, if you decide that that is something that you want to pursue, you don't necessarily need all those qualifications earlier on in life. It's a huge pressure to kind of know where yeah. you're going so young. I started my pupillage a month after my 30th birthday, so there's, there's plenty of time. Definitely. Okay, so we've kind of spoken about your um, pre-barrister career and kind of your work today. What do you kind of see for your future? Do you kind of still think that you're going to stay within this role, stay in the same tenancy agreement? What do you think is going to be on the card for you? I think what tends to happen with barristers is that you stay put. I mean, sometimes barristers will move chambers occasionally, but it's not that common, not nearly as common as in other jobs to move. Um, I am going to stay right here <laughs> and just and do what most other people do in this industry, which is just develop your, your practice. So there is just a progression rather than there aren't different grades of barrister, particularly or different roles. Um, the most senior barristers get a, a kind of an honour conferred on them called being, being a Queen's Counsel, QC, a QC. You see them with the letters QC after their name. Um, or, or sometimes called taking silk, because when, when you wear your, your robe in court, they get to wear this fancy silk gown. So they, they remind us of that by saying that they are silks or taking silk. Um, all that happens to you over the years and decades of your career is that hopefully 
the quality and value of your work increases. So when I was a brand new tenant in Chambers, what I spent my time doing was going to court pretty much every day doing low value road traffic accident cases. People who bumped into each other on roundabouts, occasionally had a bit of whiplash, stuff like that. Cross cross-examining witnesses about what lane they were in at a roundabout. Um, you know, one day in Brighton, the next day in Bedford, the day after that in Swindon, day in, day out. After five or so years, I now find myself advising on more complex and difficult injuries. And usually where there's a, a complicated area of law, be it that the accident has occurred in another country, and so there's a dispute about... Um, which law applies, the law of which country applies and which courts can get involved. Um, I deal with a lot of claims um, related to people who um, have served in the armed forces and there are particularly difficult issues about when and how you can, you can sue the armed forces because of your service. Um, I increasingly deal with a lot of cases of people who develop disease rather than having an accident where they now have a medical problem because of a buildup over a long period of time, say exposure to something which has gradually got on their lungs. Worst case of that is, is asbestos disease for people who used to work in the construction industry. Um, but also people have been exposed, say, to noise, who are now deafened. If you're exposed to noise every day for decades, that happens to you, um, and so on. Um, and then in my employment practice, um, in the employment tribunal, I'm dealing with cases of increasing complexity um, around discrimination at work, people of all kinds, um, people who um, are whistleblowers who bring concerns to the attention of their, their employer um, and who suffer detriment because of it, and, and, and a range of other employment rights. And I think what tends to happen is as you go on, you will tend to be instructed in, as I say, more complex and high value cases, cases where the issues of law involved are more complicated and so they might end up going up to the more senior courts because there's a, there is a pecking order of courts from the, the local courts that you see in your local town all the way up to the Supreme Court for the most serious appeals. And I think what you'd, what you'd hope is that over the course of a career, you would become involved in, in those sorts of cases. And those end up being cases which um, sometimes make the news, sometimes change the law or develop the law in a particular way. I know there are more senior colleagues of mine in Chambers who are, are involved in cases that do that. And where I hope to see my future is in um, taking, uh, taking cases which increasingly are sort of at the forefront of, of um, personal injury and employment litigation um, uh, and helping to develop the law in that way. Great. It's very interesting. It's been lovely having you on our podcast. I'd just like to... In conclusion, perhaps you could give us three top tips. If I haven't taken that traditional route of studying law, what three top things would you kind of suggest that I do now if I want to follow a, a career to become a barrister? Um, I think the first thing is reading. Um, it's always easy to, to overlook, but read, read, read. Um, go to the websites of specialist law associations and bar associations. So in my area, we have, for example, the, the Personal Injury Bar Association, the Employment Lawyers Association. There are articles written every month about interesting developments in the law. And it's a good way, first of all, of telling whether this is something that you, you do like to do and that you would be interested to do but also it gives you a flavour of what, what we're all talking about and what we're all thinking about. Um, 
and it sort of helps get get you into that uh, into that world. And there's plenty of other books, often written for a, a lay audience, a non-professional audience, like the books by the Secret Barrister, for example, um, and various other ones, but sort of case histories, which can really give you a flavour of what what it is like to be in practice. Um, if you're if you're interested in pursuing this as a career. Um, I would join one of the inns of court, like I say, for a small amount of money and try and get involved in a student association. Even if you're not currently a student, um, do just get in touch with them or just drop the students and scholarship and education officers an email. My experience of them was that they're always very happy to hear from people who are interested in being barristers and they'll, they'll just chat with you over email, set up a Zoom call or, or, or something like that. Um, to talk to you and give you some some pointers um, and finally I'd say if you are interested in doing this uh, in the future and you want to get an idea um, and I think it's just about possible at the moment even in Covid times go to court and sit in the public gallery most towns have a court if you're near a major town or city you'll have a, a big court which hears quite serious things just go along speak to the staff, ask them what's going on, and just go and sit at the back. Any member of the public can go into any court, most, um, because the hearings in, by most part are, are held in public. And go and sit and listen, just listen to the dispute that's being carried out, um, what the witnesses are saying, and mostly listen to the barristers or other advocates and the way that they structure their arguments and the way that they try to persuade the judge or jury. This is a job which is all about persuasion. Um, and listen to that, listen to whether you think it's effective and how you think they're trying to do that and whether you think you could do that. Those three things, reading, contacting the means of court and actually going and attending a real court and watching and listening, I think are the best three things you could do at the moment. Right. I never even realised you could go to a public court and listen to a dis dispute. That's very interesting. Thank, thank, you very <laughs> thank you very much, David, for joining us. To all of our viewers, I hope you find this listening very useful and interesting. Please remember to follow all of our social channels for the class 2020 and look out for more audio content coming soon. And that concludes another episode of the Class of 2020 podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, guys. Be sure to follow us on all our socials. Links and handles will be in the description box below. I've been Asara Yuan Sika, and we'll see you next time on the Class of 2020 podcast. Take care.